Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join in worship of our triune God. Welcome to all who are present and also to those who have joined us via the live stream. May the preaching of the gospel direct our hearts and our minds and, tr and trust to our Lord Jesus Christ and cause us to live our life to the praise and honour of his name. Consist of the following announcements. As elders only, we'll meet tomorrow evening at 8pm, the Lord willing. And this afternoon's worship service will be led by Reverend Husinger, Emeritus Minister from the Free Reformed Church of Armadale. Before we commence the worships, let us sing together from hymn 36, verse 1 to 4. And let us rise to receive God's greeting. We confess our help is in the name of the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. Receive his greeting. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ in the communion of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In response to God's greeting, let us sing together Psalm 22, the stanzas 9 and 10, the psalm that speaks prophetically about the sufferings and death of Christ, but also what happened afterwards and all the benefits from that. Stanzas 9 and 10 of Psalm 22.
Together with a church of all ages and all places, let us confess our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith, and let's do so by singing hymn one. Let us unite in prayer. Heavenly God, we praise you. You are the almighty creator of heaven and earth. Out of nothing, you created all that we see. You amaze us. You brought order out of chaos. And what was empty you filled you filled the sky with birds. You filled the earth with creeping things, with animals, with, yes, with people. You filled the sea with fish and all manner of life. And we thank you, Lord, that we can see your greatness all around us. This is your world our Father's world. And we thank you that in every season there is something colorful and beautiful. We have finished the winter season. We thank you for the rains. And we see that through the rains, creation is starting to come into blossom. The flame trees and so many bushes Thank you, Lord, that we can see your magnificence. It amazes us since the soil is so bad, 
so sandy and poor. And yet, Lord, you give us a dazzling display. We thank you that your best work is reserved for us, your people. And today you want to refresh us, instruct us, warn us, and we ask, bless your word to us and also our confession of it so that we may indeed be well taught and grounded in the truth. We praise you, O holy God, thrice holy. We are not worthy of being in your presence. We remember how Peter was in his fishing boat when Jesus came into the boat and Peter objected. He was not worthy to have the Lord in his boat. But Lord, you come into our presence and you do greater wonders than command schools of fish into the fishermen's nets. Speak to us and bless us and use it, Lord, so that we may grow in faith and be established in it. We ask this in Jesus' name, the risen one. Amen. <clears throat> this afternoon, we make use of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 22. And after that, we will also allow the Catechism to take us back to the scriptures on which it is based and from where it is taken. And we'll read two passages, one from Matthew 22 and one from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let's go to the Heidelberg Catechism itself to find our bearings. Lord's Day 22. Dealing with the first question and answer 57, where we ask the question, what comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head, but also this my flesh raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. And now we go to the scriptures, first of all, and to Matthew chapter 22. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 22, starting at verse 23. The Sadducees ask about the resurrection. The same day, Sadducees came to Jesus. Sadducees who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married, 
and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So to the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Now we go further and go to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as we know it. Chapter 15, starting at verse 20. Paul is in dealing with a question amongst the Corinthian church. Some said that <clears throat> there is no resurrection of the dead. And then we read in verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. And now we go to verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps, of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. And there is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus far, our scriptural readings. 
Let us now respond into our confession and to God's word by singing together from Psalm 73, the stanza 7-8, this man who was so bitter in his heart, but whom the Lord taught some very important lessons. Stanza 7 and 8 of Psalm 73. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> everyone has to die. Even if no more wars or plagues occur, in 100 years, this present world population will be mow mowed down out of sight. Gone. And that hard reality forces us and all people to come to grips with the reality of death and what is beyond it. In itself, it remains a mystery. As we'll see, no one comes back from the dead and does not tell us what happens afterwards. The wise men of Greece had their own explanation. For example, Plato explained that the soul 
comes from heaven, from the gods, and is immortal. Out of punishment, this soul was put in a prison, in a body. But at death, it is set free once more. Thus, death liberates the soul. And Greeks who believed this could therefore bravely meet death. Though they held no hope for the body. Today, many say, dead is dead. And even as it is normal that a plant germinates, sprouts, and comes to life, so it's also normal, they say, that it dies. Likewise for people. Yet none of these theories can be proven. There's no evidence. Only the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ reveals death's dark secrets. And we want to turn to it. As we have confessed it in Lord's Day 22, under this theme, believe the resurrection of the flesh. Believe the resurrection of the flesh. The first resurrection and my death. And secondly, the second glorious resurrection. We're in the things that every Christian has to believe. And this is a wonderful thing to believe. The resurrection of the flesh. We first go to the first resurrection. We have said that only God gives us faithful information about death and what follows it. God doesn't do that via people who stand up from the dead and come back and tell us all about it. No. You know that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Yet we hear nothing from Lazarus about death. And anyone else who was raised from the dead, we don't hear anything from them about this subject. When Jesus expired, breathed his last, and died on the cross, earth-shaking events took place. An earthquake, rocks split into two, tombs were opened, and the dead bodies of saints, they were raised to life. Those who had been asleep were raised, and on Easter, they went into the city. Did they tell people stories about the dead? We don't hear anything. And so you see that the Bible doesn't do that. In fact, Jesus in his parable tells us that we shouldn't be asking that. Because remember in that parable, <clears throat> those who were in torment said, Please send so-and-so over here to cool our tongue. And go and warn our brothers that they don't add up in the same place. And they were told, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't listen to them, they won't listen to someone who comes back from the dead. So the same applies to us. Wouldn't it not be nice, boys and girls, if someone who had died comes back to life and tells us all about it? Is it possible? Well, allow me to tell you a story. It's a story about the dragonfly. You know, you may see these double lace wings flying around, pretty big insects, and you duck when they come towards you. 
Well, they start their life down at the bottom of the pond, you know, a whole colony of these little wigglers down there. And, you know, every now and then, one of them seems to crawl up the lily, the lily stalk up to the surface, and they disappear, and they don't come back. And the other ones down there say, well, what happens to these people? Don't they like us? Don't they enjoy this life down here? Why did they have to go up in that stalk and disappear? Why don't they come back? And so they said, you know, the next one who goes up and they go through the surface, we prom let's promise together that they'll come back and tell us about it. So they all said yes. And the person who made that motion, he was the next one to go up the stalk to the surface. But when he came to the surface, he couldn't believe it. There was so much sunshine there. And all of a sudden, his body changed. And after these glossy wings dried up, off he could fly. And what a wonderful world. He flew around and around and looked at everything. But finally, he settled on a lily pad, and he looked down, and he said, Oh, yeah, I promised. I'd go back down. So he flew, and he nose-dived into the water, but he couldn't get down there. The wings wouldn't allow him. He couldn't get there. And so he said, You know, I can't go back there. I've got to wait till they come up here, and then we can tell each other what happened. And that's the story of the dragonfly. But we don't come back from the dead either to tell everybody about it. Because once we have that brand new life, it's so wonderful, we just wait for others to come and join us. That's exactly the same. And that's how life is. But you know, we do have that wonder that now already we have that first resurrection. And we talked about the first resurrection, and that is the new birth, the coming to life of the new person. That is conversion or regeneration. And that happens here on earth through the Holy Spirit and through the gospel. And that has everything to do with the resurrection. Because when a person changes and then they also have the promise of that second resurrection, everlasting life. They have passed from death unto life, says Scripture. And this is what our confession points us to. And so some of these questions we cannot answer, and we'll have to wait. The Catechism then goes on to say that immediately after this life, my soul shall be taken up to Christ my head. That is a wonderful thought. We will be with Christ. And there's going to be no intervening purgatory for us, where we have to be purged of all our sins before we can enter into heaven. Church of Rome believes in a cooperation between God and people. And people have to do penance 
pay for their own forgivable sins. And if there's outstanding debts, they have to go through purgatory. Heaven is only for those who are holy. And that fits their picture of a saint. A saint is holy without sin. And the person has to contribute to that themselves. But, you know, when you and I were baptized, then the baptismal form instructed us. And the parents answered this question in the positive and said, Do you believe that this child is holy in Christ, sanctified in Christ, made holy in him? Not in themselves, not through purgatory, but in Christ. And that's what we posit. And therefore, we have a great, great benefit to that first resurrection and that we are in Christ. Is there anything more we can say about our existence after death? Is there any conscious existence until the resurrection of the body? Now, the Bible doesn't speak about this at length in a chapter, tell us all that we need to know, but it does clearly mention a number of things, probably more than we <clears throat> think at first. We confess that the resurrection of Christ in Lord's Day is 17 already, and because he rose from the dead, it has great benefits for us. We've already seen that. When Jesus rose, he greeted his disciples, peace be to you. And sometimes, not often, one can return from the dead and greet the living. There have been a few resurrections, as noted and written in scripture. Not many, but there were some. I mentioned Lazarus. But there are some other things that we can say. I think about the seven words of Jesus from the cross. I think about the message to the penitent murderer on the cross. This robber, this thief, this zealot, if you wish, repented. He asked to be remembered by our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus came into his kingdom, somehow he learned that Jesus was king. He was going to receive a kingdom, and he wanted to be remembered. Like Joseph in prison, this penitent bandit wanted a good reference. But he didn't expect it right away, did he? It would take a while, wouldn't it not? After all, Jesus hung there dying. What could Jesus offer? And Jesus gave that unexpected answer, introducing it with the force of an oath. Truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, I swear an oath. In God's name. And what is the oath about? Truly, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. That very day, when the body of Jesus hung dead and the bones of the robber were broken to bring on a quick death, that very day, before sundown, they would be in paradise together.
paradise, the beautiful place where God and man enjoy fellowship, the dwelling place of God, third heaven, as Paul will call it in 1 Corinthians 12. Jesus is there, and the thief will be with Jesus. And so we see that, yeah, that's something about what happened after death. And Jesus taught the same to the Sadducees, who denied the existence of angels and spirits, as well as the resurrection of the body. Those Sadducees, they respected the first five books of the Bible. That was their Bible, the books of Moses. And knowing this, and Jesus purposely quotes from the books of Moses, the first five books. And he goes to Exodus chapter 3. And you may remember that, where Moses meets the Lord, or the angel of the Lord, in the burning bush. And it's quite a sight, because there's a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed by fire. And the name of the Lord is, I am who I am. And he introduces himself as, I am the God of the living, not of the dead. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus says, see, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob are alive. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. Wonderful truth. The patriarchs were alive with God. And when someone died, they would be gathered to their fathers, as the scripture says. So, there's other evidence about life after death. You can also go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there Paul says, if we're in the body, we're away from the Lord. We're not with the Lord in heaven, in other words. But if we're out of the body, and the body is buried, but our soul is alive, then we're at home with the Lord. And you see that written on many tombstones, at home with the Lord. In spite of hardships, Paul is of good courage. Death seems not to frighten him, for we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord, he writes. To be constantly opposed and beaten did not discourage Paul. His faith in Christ encouraged him. But whether he's at home with the Lord or away from the Lord, he and Christians aim to please the Master. And we find that same note of faith in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And though Paul sits in prison awaiting sentencing, his mood is one of rejoicing. He will say, rejoice. And again I will say, rejoice. Always. Now, if you're in prison awaiting the death sentence, many people can't rejoice, but they tremble. Paul wanted Christ honored in his body whether by life or by his death. And then comes that famous statement of faith, for to me to live is Christ, 
And to die is gain. To die is gain. Now I tell you, if dying means gain, how can it mean that the soul just goes to sleep and doesn't know anything, there's, it's not conscious of anything, and is sort of under an anesthetic, you might almost say. You know, just doesn't know anything. Death is not much of a gain then, is it? Those who believe in soul sleep then cannot explain that very well. But if it means being with Christ and having a foretaste of life with God forever, then it is a tremendous gain. And that is what Paul says. For it is better to depart and to be with Christ. It is better to get on board the ship and to be with Christ. That's the language he uses there. It's better by far, in fact. And that consists of being with Christ. And I think that is great gain. And so, <clears throat> we can also say that death means being with Christ. And we can also go to scriptures and we know from the book of Revelation that the souls under the altar are crying out, How long, O Lord? How long until we're vindicated? There's consciousness. And they can communicate with the Lord. Yes. We're with Christ in paradise. We're with him. Great gain. And so I say, yes, we know much about death. Not everything, but enough. And so, <clears throat> let's say Opa passes away. And you boys and girls, you can't understand everything. Because mom and dad and the minister, they say that he's with the Lord. And yet, you also travel along to the graveside, and the body of Opa is buried in the grave. And that doesn't seem to make sense. Where is Opa then? In the grave? Or is he with the Lord? <clears throat> and then we say, just think of our Lord Jesus Christ. He died. They didn't have to break his bones. He was not a broken man. They took him down and put him in a grave that had never been used before. But he was in paradise. You see, and that same happens to us. Our soul goes to be with Christ. And Jesus would ask us, do you believe this? For that is what we're asked to do here in this part of the catechism. So there are still many questions that crop up. We cannot answer them all, but we try to give some information. We come to that second point, the second glorious resurrection. My soul goes to heaven to be with Christ. But what happens to my body then, you may ask? It is wonderfully, intricately created. With Psalm 139, we rightly praise the Creator's work of embroidering a new life in mother's womb. It amazes us. Experts cannot duplicate it. They can only try to understand it better. 
The Greeks had very little use for the body. Oh, they exercised it and, and they wanted to be, yes, healthy when they were here on earth, but after they die, body's useless. Discard it. And many have that idea. And probably then you will just say also, I prefer cremation. Just burn the body. Environmentally friendly. Makes sense, doesn't it? But if we say that the Lord created it wonderfully, then we have a different attitude. And concerning the resurrection of the body, Lord's Day 22 stresses that Christ will transform this, my flesh. My flesh. Christ will glorify my body. In other words, it's not to be discarded like a bit of rubbish. It's not just a cage for the soul. And once the soul flies out, get rid of the cage. God wonderfully engineered it for his honor and for kingly dominion. And it has a marvelous future. We read that from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So we honor the body by burial, whatever method is used, different methods in different countries. You heard God's word from Paul about the resurrection body, how it can be compared to the sowing of a seed in the ground. And Paul says, you know, <clears throat> what you sow in the ground first has to die. The seed that you have in, in your hand and that you're going to put in the, in the vegetable garden, well, that's dead. Oh, think of any seed, beetroot, carrot, whatever you want. Let's say beetroot's more of a conglomerate seed, all sorts of ones put together. Now, you put that in the ground, in good or rich soil, give it some water, let there be some sunshine, and in a week or two, you see little plants poking their heads through the soil. Now, ask yourself this question. Did it not start off with a seed that was dead and wrinkled? And that's like we are when we die. But what rises up out of the ground, is that like that seed? Does it look like that beetroot seed or that carrot seed? Not at all. That plant that comes up, it's quite different. You see, says Paul, there's a difference. And that's what we also have to see. Fresh green and reddish stems and leaves appear. What you sow is not what rises up. The same principle applies to the resurrection. And so, first we die, but when the Lord raises us, it's going to be different. A weak body, maybe it was sick, maybe it had all sorts of disease, but then it will be raised in full health and power and strength and glory of God. It seems there's no hope for that dead seed when you put it in the ground. But so often we witness that wonder of life, new life. And whenever we witness that, then recall what the Lord has for you in that second resurrection, that glorious resurrection. 
Take Jesus, for example. That's somewhat complicated, but we'll give it a try. Jesus rose from the dead. And when Mary, through a mist of tears, finally recognized him by his voice, she clung to him like glue. All things would now be as they were before. Everything would go back to normal and stay that way. And that's what she wanted. But Jesus corrects her. I have not yet ascended to my God and your God. I have not yet gone to my Father and your Father. So don't cling to me. Don't hang on to me. For it's not going to be the same. Jesus had a real human body. The disciples could recognize him. And for confirmation for their sakes, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. And he ate something to show he was not a spirit. And yet when Jesus is glorified, and you can go to Revelation chapter 1, for example, for that, the apostle sees him in his glory. And they fall down as dead. So it was really Jesus, and yet Jesus underwent a glorious transformation. And when he raises us, we're going to be like him, says the catechism. Like that glorious transformation. And this is not the first time that that was said in the scripture. I think of the Old Testament. Someone who lived, yes, in the time of the patriarchs. Job. And you know what happened to Job? Physically, he was a wreck. He was on the ash heap, taking potsherds and scraping himself. He had boils on his body. Horrible thought. Everybody was repelled. He was repulsive to them. They avoided him. They loathed him. See, God is against him. Look what God is doing to him. He must have sinned. You've got to repent, Job. And his good friends, they jabbed their fingers into his spare ribs. But what if his case was engraved in stone? What if it were written down? Would the following generations believe it? Are we any different than Job's friends? I don't think so. No, man cannot help him. Job has only one helper, one redeemer. And not family or friend either. And Job firmly believes in that Redeemer. The one who restores his rights and avenges him. He is the living God. God. He would completely vindicate Job. And Job would see him on his side. Not against him, over against him, accusing him like his friends were doing. No. And Job really yearned for this vindication. Indeed, he sees that his death is not far off. After his skin has been peeled off, after his loathsome flesh is put off, then his goel, in Hebrew, his redeemer, his avenger, will stand on the dust of his grave. And that will happen when Jesus comes in glory. He will stand on the sand of the graves. And he will avenge his people. 
and then hope will arise. And Job says, and then I will see him from my flesh, from my flesh, not as a soul, but reunited with my body. And my body made glorious like Christ's body, and I will see him from my flesh. And how that longing makes him faint. And so you see that Job also, even in the Old Testament, you know, a time when you would say the promises of God are not all that clear yet, but he already believed in that. His eyes will see God, his Redeemer. And there will be a public testimony. Yes, even on earth, Job will have to pray for his friends so that God does not punish them. But then the whole world will know and that Job's cause was, a, was the cause of his Redeemer. And so we too know that our, de our Redeemer lives and he comes to avenge us. And Job is not going to have his old diseased body back. Of course not. By the power that Jesus has as God, he will transform our bodies to be like his glorious body. And therefore we experience that wonderful, and you learn this word in science, boys and girls, metamorphosis. It's really a Greek word. It means something change, a wonderful change comes, a transformation. I gave you the example of the dragonfly, these little wigglers down in the mud at the bottom of a pond, and all of a sudden become this beautiful dragonfly with double lacy wings flying, buzzing around, looking at this wondrous world. Yes, and the beetroot seed becomes a wonderful plant with good fruit. And we, we who become weak and may be diseased, we are changed so that we are full of the Spirit, full of power and glory. This my flesh will be transformed. And then you ask questions. Does that mean we're going to be able to recognize each other? Well, it's this my flesh. There's going to be continuity. So it's not going to be somebody different, but it's still going to be me. And we have to recognize that. I can't answer all curious questions, but we definitely say this my flesh will be transformed by the power of God to be like Christ's glorious body. But there's also something else we have to stress, and that is there's not only continuity, there's transformation, a wonderful change. And that makes a big, big change. We're not going to recognize people because yeah, they have a certain speech impediment or a limp or they have one bad eye or something like that. We identify them by their, yeah, imperfection, you might say, whatever. But 
that's all going to disappear. All those birthmarks and all those things are going to be gone. Those flaws will be no more. We will be transformed gloriously. And a transformation also means, and that's, wow, that's you. Is that you? You're so different, so transformed. We also have to see that. And that God grants fellowship with us and fellowship amongst all those who go to be with Christ. And that is what we have to confess together. That glorious second resurrection. Jesus is not only the one who was crucified, but he is the risen and living one, our Redeemer. He will stand on the graves and call out the dead as he did with Lazarus. Maybe you stood at the grave of a loved one. And then you will understand that at such moments you call out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. It makes you shout, Maranatha, Amen. Let us respond by singing together from hymn 67, the stanzas 2, 5, and 7. Let us give God thanks in prayer. 
God of life, we thank you. Even in creation, you do wonders. Here in Australia, we often witness terrible bushfires, raging fires. It happened also in our state, in various places. We think of Yarloop. And yet, after some years, the black forest starts to turn green. And in the bush, various seeds sprout. There are new saplings, new bushes, new flowers. Yes, Lord, we see the wonder of creation being resurrected. And Lord, it reminds us you have something much greater for us. We thank you that a child can be born once no life and then life is conceived and it grows amazing and there is new life but you also grant that new life in the spirit and that through Jesus Christ we may have life that never ends thank you for that and that Jesus will also come so that we may live with him in glorious new bodies to be on that brand new world. We thank you and that he will also change all of this creation and all the effects of sin will be done away with. That the sea will be no more to divide us and Lord, and that we will have that wonderful climate all over this globe. And the best, that you live with us. Thank you for all your many wonders. We thank you we could sing about it. That here on earth already you take us by our right hand. The hand that is supposed to do the work for us and protect us. You take us by that hand and you provide for us. And you guard us. And you lead us into that new Jerusalem. Thank you. Lord, be with the elders. Grant them what they need in their work this week. Be with the deacons. Bless them in promoting the ministry of mercy. Be also with the minister and his travels. Bless him. And Lord, bless our missionaries and all the workers. We think also the Bible College at Port Moresby. Bless the work there, that we may get more and more members who are well taught, who can take active part in church life, and also that there may be more and more men trained for the ministry of the word, and that there can be an indigenous ministry there. We pray for your word here at home and also abroad. Remember in your care, your people, bring back the wayward. And Lord, cause your word to bring new life to many. We ask all of this and we give you thanks for your many benefits in Jesus Christ, especially that we may have life that never ends. Amen.
You now have the opportunity to give your thank offering unto the Lord. And the thank offering this afternoon is for mission work in Papua New Guinea. And after you have given your thank offering, we will stand and sing stanzas 2, 3, 4, 6, and 8 of hymn 68.
Lift up your hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing, and go in peace. The Lord blesses you and keeps you. The Lord makes his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you. The Lord lifts up his countenance upon you and gives you peace. Amen.